Chapter Twenty of the Romance of Modern Sieges by Edward Gilliatt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty, Plevna, eighteen seventy-seven. An English boy as Turkish lieutenant, a melee, wounded by a horseman, takes letter to Russian camp. The Czar watches the guns. Skobeleff's charge. The great Todleben arrives. Skobeleff deals with cowards pasting labels the last sortie osman surrenders prisoners in the snow bucharest ladies very kind after turkey had put down the insurrection in bulgaria eighteen seventy six and had beaten servia october eighteen seventy six russia made her tenth attempt to seize constantinople the czar alexander the second declared war against the sultan abdul hamad second and the result was a war which in cruelty and horrors has had no equal since the first napoleon retired to st helena there were a few young englishmen fighting on the side of the turks one of whom lieutenant herbert has left us a full account of the siege of plevna he says in his preface i have witnessed much that was heroic much that was grand soul-stirring sublime but infinitely more of what was hideous and terrible if you have too firm a belief in the glories of soldiering try a war herbert was soon made musalim or lieutenant and his friend jack seymour was in the same company the first successes of the russians were checked when osman pasha stood at bay at plevna and the turks literally dug themselves into the hills around the city while the russians lost thousands of men in vain assaults upon the earthworks it was in the second battle of plevna that a bimbashi or major came up to herbert and said the general has sent for reinforcements take your company an orderly will show the way do your best muslim you are but a boy in a position which might unnerve a man twice your age rise to the occasion as englishmen are wont to do the soldiers love you you and your compatriot have but to lead and they will follow remember the czar nicholas furious cry in the crimean war we have been beaten by a handful of savages led by british boys as they climbed to a distant hill they suddenly overlooked a battlefield of twenty square miles in area terrible to see terrible to hear the thunder of two hundred and forty guns seemed like a crash of so many volcanoes the earth trembled like a living thing it was like standing in the center of a raging fire presently the russian troops drew near the turks began a quick fire of three minutes duration deep gaps showed in their lines but they were soon filled up and still they drew nearer the russian hurrah and the wild turkish cry of allah mingled together now there were only one hundred paces between the charging lines the russians coming uphill the turks rushing down then came a chaos of stabbing clubbing hacking shouting cursing men knots of two or three on the ground clinging to each other in a deadlier rugby football butt-ends of rifles rising and falling like the cranks of many engines horses charging into solid bodies of men frantic faces streaming with blood all the madhouses of the world might be discharging their contents into this seething cauldron of human passion i remember nothing 
all i know is that i discharged the six chambers of my revolver but at whom i have no notion that my sabre was stained with blood but with whose i cannot tell that suddenly we looked at one another in blank surprise for the russians had gone save those left on the ground and we were among friends all frantic breathless perspiring many bleeding the lines broken all of us jabbering laughing dancing about like maniacs fifteen minutes after the first charge the russians returned of this charge i remember one item too well a giant on a big horse a colonel i think galloped up to me and dealt me a terrific blow from above i parried as well as i could but his sword cut across my upturned face across nose and chin where the mark is visible to this day i felt the hot blood trickle down my throat he passed on sergeant bacall my friend and counsellor spoke to me pointing to my face jack said something in a compassionate voice i fainted when i came to myself my head had been bandaged the nose plastered all over water was given me how grateful i was for that delicious drink then i was supported by friends to the outskirts of plevna as we went along i noticed a russian lieutenant who after creeping along for a space had sat down by the side of the track leaning against the belly of a dead horse he was calmly awaiting death in awful forsakenness he counted barely twenty summers poor boy he looked at me oh so wistfully and sadly with the sweet divine light of deliverance shining in his tearful eyes he said faintly de l'eau monsieur i had some cold coffee left in my flask which i got my companion to pour down his throat he bowed his poor bruised head gratefully and we left him to die the ground was strewn with haversacks rifles swords wounded men riderless horses neighing vehemently trotted about in search of food these sights were revealed to me by the peaceful dying golden light of a summer sunset even war that hell-born product of the iniquity of monarchs and statesmen receives its quota of sunshine a few weeks later herbert was summoned to the farik or general of division and asked if he could speak french well enough to take a letter into the russian camp he said yes made himself smart in new tunic and boots and flattered himself that his tanned smooth youthful face looked well below the bright red fez with its jaunty tassel in spite of his chin being still under repair a corporal carrying a white flag and a bugler well mounted rode with him they were handsome strapping fellows in the highest of spirits after a ride of six miles they came in sight of a detachment of cossacks a young russian lieutenant rode to meet them waving his handkerchief herbert stated his business in french was asked to dismount while awaiting instructions the russians crowded round out of curiosity the horses were fed and watered cigarettes were exchanged and friendly talk ensued in half an hour a horseman rode up and herbert was bidden to mount his eyes were bandaged his horse was led after a sharp trot of twenty minutes they halted the handkerchief was taken off and he found himself in a battery an officer came up and took the letter then handed herbert over to an infantry colonel who took him into a small tent here with some other officers they had a cosy meal wine bread and soup 
a pleasant chat and smiles all around it was a fortnight since the last battle and the russians were still lost in admiration of the bravery with which the turks had defended their positions vos hommes mon camarade sont des diables jamais je n'ai vu pareille chose that was just a glimpse of the enemy and proved that though men may fight by order they may yet be friends at heart the czar alexander had been present watching the varied issues of every fight and assault the sappers had built for him a kind of outlook on a little hill beyond the line of fire where he could see far away on all sides a large tent was standing behind supplied with food and wine where his suite made merry but the poor worn anxious czar could not eat could not bide in his safe tower but would go wandering round among the gunners and the guns it was his fete day when the great september battle was being fought there he stood alone on his little balcony under the lowering sky of an autumn day gazing through his glass at the efforts of his soldiers to storm the gravitza redoubt all the afternoon assault had followed assault in vain and now the last desperate effort the forlorn hope was being pushed to the front the pale drawn face on the balcony was now quivering with agonized sorrow the tall figure was bent and bowed and seemed to wince under the lash of some destroying angel with awful losses the russian battalions staggered and struggled up the slopes slippery with their comrades blood see sire they have entered the redoubt it is carried at last hardly has the czar time to smile and breathe a prayer of gratitude when from a second redoubt higher up a terrible fire is turned on the russians and they are swept out of the place they had so hardly won there was one russian officer who seemed to have a charmed life he was the bravest of the brave was beloved by his men and did marvels of heroic feats Skobelev on a day of battle skobeleff always wore a white frock coat with all his decorations seeing the battalions coming back from the gravitza in disorderly route the tall white figure on the white horse dashed at full speed down the slope past the linesmen who gave their loved chief a great cheer as he galloped by caught up the riflemen who were advancing in support and swept them on at the double men sprang to their feet and rapturously cheered the white-clad leader he reached the wavering beaten mass pointed upwards with his sword and imparted to daunted hearts some of his own courage and enthusiasm they turned with him and tried yet once more then the white horse went down the glass trembled in the hands of alexander he is down no sire he rises he mounts again see they are over and into the turkish entrenchments what a medley of sights and sounds flame and smoke and shouts and screams but the russians were for the present masters of the redoubt in the evening skobeleff rode back without a scratch on him though his white coat was covered with blood and froth and mud his horse his last white charger was shot dead on the edge of the ditch his blade was broken off short by the hilt every man of his staff was killed or wounded except kuropetkin 
General Skobolev, wrote McGahn to the Daily News, was in a fearful state of excitement and fury. His cross of St. George twisted over his shoulder, his face black with powder and smoke, his eyes haggard and bloodshot, his voice quite gone. I never saw such a picture of battle as he presented. But a few hours later the general was calm and collected. He said in a low, quiet voice, I have done my best. I could do no more my detachment is half destroyed my regiments no longer exist i have no officers left they sent me no reinforcements i have lost three guns why did they send you no help who was to blame i blame nobody said skobeleff then solemnly crossing himself he added it was the will of god the will of god skobeleff's heroism was magnificent and did much to nerve the common soldier to face the turkish batteries but success came not that way men and officers began to ask one another why the czar did not send them the help of the great todleben who had defended sebastopol so brilliantly it seems that the grand duke nicholas had nourished a grudge against russia's most eminent engineer and had kept him out of all honourable employment but alexander had sent for todleben and this was the turn of the tide todleben came in such haste from russia that he had brought no horses with him now he was at last in the russian camp a handsome tall dignified man of sixty straight and active and very affable to all the attack was to be changed no more deadly assaults in front but a complete investment and wait till famine steps in to make osman submit but Skobolev had not yet finished with daring assaults. One day the Green Hill, which the Russians had taken under his command, was being endangered by Turkish sharpshooters. Russian recruits, who were posted near, had fallen back in a scare, thrown down their rifles, and simply run like hares. Skobolev met them in full flight, and in grim humor shouted, "'Good health, my fine fellows! My fine, brave fellows!' the men halted and gave the customary salute being very shamefaced withal you are all noble fellows perfect heroes you are i am proud to command you silent and confounded they shambled from one leg to another by the way said skobeleff still blandly smiling i do not see your rifles the men cast their eyes down and said not a word where are your rifles i ask you in a sterner tone there was a painful silence which skobeleff broke with a voice of thunder his face changed to an awful frown his glance made the men cower so you have thrown away your weapons you are cowards you run away from turks you are a disgrace to your country my god right about face my children follow me the general marched them up to the spot where they had left their rifles and ordered them to take them up and follow him then he led them out into the space in front of the trench right in the line of the turkish fire and there he put them through their exercises standing with his back to the turks while the bullets could be heard whistling over and around them only two of them were hit during this strange drill then he let them go back to their trenches saying the next time any one of you runs away he will be shot 
the investment of plevna went on relentlessly through october november and part of december by the ninth most of all their food was exhausted and osmond determined to try one last sortie before surrendering herbert had charge of a train of a battalion outside the town he made up a fire saw his men installed for the night and then walked to the town a snowfall was coming down lazily bivouac fires lit up the gaunt figures of men and beasts the men talking of tomorrow's fight in a subdued tone were yet excited and eager many turkish residents with their carts and vehicles were spending the night on the snow-covered plain the men brooding and gloomy the veiled women sobbing the children playing hide-and-seek around the fires and among the carts it was a weird sight all these thousands eager to go out after the army when the last struggle should have carved them an open road through the surrounding foe at headquarters an officer met herbert and asked him to post some labels at the ambulance doors of a certain street he says armed with a brush and paste pot i turned bill sticker and affixed a notice on some twenty house doors which were showing the ambulance flag anything more dismal than that deserted town abandoned by all but dying and helpless men and some four hundred starving bulgarian families cannot be imagined desolate dead god-forsaken plevna during the night of the ninth and tenth of december was no more like the thriving and pretty plevna of july than the decaying corpse of an old hag is like the living body of a blooming girl the streets unlighted and empty save for a slouching outcast here and there bent on rapine echoed to the metallic ring of my solitary steps while occasional groans or curses proceeding from the interior of the ambulances haunted me long afterwards as sounding unearthly in the dark twice i stumbled over corpses which had been thrust into the gutter as the quickest way of getting rid of them as i walked i had to shake myself and pinch my flesh so much like the fantasy of an ugly dream was the scene to my mind as i plied my brush on the door panels i felt like one alive in a gigantic graveyard at one of the ambulances i was bidden to enter and found by the feeble light of a reeking oil lamp some invalids fighting for a remnant of half-rotten food which they had just discovered in a forgotten cupboard men without legs hands or feet were clutching scratching kicking struggling for morsels that no respectable dog or cat would look at twice i pacified them and distributed the unsavory bits of meat as i turned to go a man without legs caught hold of me from his mattress begging me to carry him to the train bivouac that he might follow the army happily an attendant turned up and i wrenched myself away herbert was returning by a narrow dark lane when someone sprang upon him and tore the paste-pot away from him he had doubtless seen it by the light of the lieutenant's lantern and thought the vessel contained food he belabored the fellow's face with his brush making it ghastly white and setting him off to splutter and croak and swear and finally he rammed the brushes hard down his throat at this moment two other bulgarians came up but taking time by the forelock herbert pasted their mouths and eyes before they could speak then shouted out good night gentlemen and i wish you a very hearty appetite 
he then turned and ran for all he was worth to the officers mess room it was about ten o'clock p m when osman pasha and his staff rode up preceded by a mounted torch-bearer and escorted by a body of saloniki cavalry when he came out again the light from the torch fell full upon his face his features were drawn and careworn the cheeks hollow there were deep lines on the forehead and blue rings under his eyes their expression was one of angry determination he responded to the salute with that peculiar nod which was more a frown than a greeting they all rose and went after him into the street to see him mount his fine arab horse he and his staff spent that last night in one of the farmhouses on the western outskirts of plevna after a supper of gruel and bread herbert and the others walked in a body to the train bivouac the night was intensely dark a few snowflakes were flying about it was freezing a little they did not talk for each was saying to himself it is all over with us now hardly any expected to see the next nightfall herbert and two other lieutenants slept in a hut by the river's brink they could hear the water murmuring and every now and then a lump of ice made music against the piles a little after five in the morning he moved on crossed with the first division the shaky pontoon bridge and rejoined his company twenty-four crack battalions of the first division were marching on to face the ring of russian guns the dark hoods of the greatcoats drawn over the fez and pointing upwards gave an element of grotesqueness to the men they were marching to certain death with hope in their hearts in front the russian entrenchments rose out of the vapors and fog in threatening silence once beyond them and they were free the country and military honor called for this supreme sacrifice and they offered it full willingly at nine thirty a m the bugle sounded advance and the whole line two miles long began to move in one grand column the turks went at the quick hurling a hail of lead before them the troops kept repeating the arabic phrase bismillah ramin in the name of the merciful god but the fire became so deadly that they came to a dead stop the men in the front line lay down on their stomachs after an interval of ten minutes the bugles of the first division sounded storm the men jumped to their feet and rushed at the nearest trench a murderous discharge of rifle fire greeted them many bit the dust but very soon the turks had the first trench in their possession then a second and third and before they knew what they were about they were in the midst of the russian guns hacking clubbing stabbing shooting whilst overhead flew countless shells hissing and leaving a white trail in their track then they waited for the support of the second line which never came but at noon the russians came down upon them in force herbert was ordered to ride and report that they could not hold out longer without reinforcements he says as i rode towards the centre i was drawn into the vortex of a most awful panic a wild flight for safety to the right bank of the river i had never been in a general retreat it is far more terrible than the most desperate encounter i was simply drawn along in a mad stream of men horses and carts 
officers their faces streaming with perspiration in spite of the cold were trying to restore order the train got mixed with the infantry and the batteries and the confusion baffles description my horse slipped into a ditch and i continued on foot i heard that osman had been wounded and carted across the river the pitiless shells followed us even to the other side of the river the screams of the women in the carts unnerved many a sturdy man i came to a sort of barn where two saloniki horsemen stood sentry being dead-beat and hungry to starving point i sat down on a stone whilst i crunched a biscuit a cart drove up and a man badly wounded in the leg was assisted into the building so sallow and pain-drawn was his face that at first i failed to recognize osman there were tears in his eyes tears of grief and rage rather than of physical pain and in their expression lay that awful thought the game is up the end is come which we see in misenia's picture of napoleon in the retreat from waterloo the last sortie from plevna was witnessed by skobeleff from the heights above the turkish infantry were deploying with great smartness taking advantage of the cover afforded by the ground the skirmishers were already out in the open driving before them the russian outposts skobeleff was very excited were there ever more skilful tactics he said they are born soldiers these turks already half-way to ganesi's front hidden first by the darkness and now by the long bank under which they are forming in perfect safety beautiful indeed never was a sortie more skilfully prepared how i should like to be in command of it skobeleff then turned his glass on the russian defence line he seldom swore but now a torrent of oaths burst from his lips oh that ass that consummate ass ganetsky he shouted striking his thigh with his clenched fist what fool's work he had his orders he was warned of the intended sortie he might have had any number of reinforcements and what preparation has he made none he is confronting osman's army with six battalions when he might have had twenty-four mark my words the turk will carry our first line with a rush we shall retrieve it but to have lost it for ever so short a time will be our disgrace for ever then skobeleff spat angrily and rode off at a gallop how true those words were we have seen already at two p m osman had been obliged to surrender and shortly after he met the russian grand duke nicholas osman in a carriage nicholas on horseback they looked one another long in the face then nicholas offered his hand heartily and said general i honour you for your noble defence of plevna it has been among the most splendid examples of skill and heroism in modern history osman's face winced a little perhaps a twitch of pain crossed it as in spite of his wound he struggled to his feet and uttered a few broken words in a low tone the russian officers saluted with great demonstration of respect and shouts of bravo rang out again and again poor victorious osman conquered at last by king famine he had lived in a common green tent during the whole period of the investment his last night at plevna was the first he spent under a roof lieutenant herbert says concerning the surrender as the roumanian soldiers seized our weapons i became possessed of an uncontrollable fury i broke my sword 
thrust carbine revolvers and ammunition into the wagon a private with semitic features perceived my circassian dagger but i managed to spoil it by breaking the point before handing it over another man annexed my field glass i never saw my valise again which had been stored on one of the battalion's carts i had saved a portion of my notes and manuscripts by carrying them like a breast between uniform and vest having given vent to rage i fell into the opposite mood and sitting down on a stone i hid my face in my hands and abandoned myself to the bitterest half-hour of reflection i have ever endured luckily herbert fell in with a roumanian lieutenant whom he knew who took him to the russian camp and gave him hot grog bread and cold meat how we devoured the food he says we actually licked the mugs out as they walked away in the dark to their night quarters they happened to pass the spot where herbert's battalion was encamped without fires or tents in an open snow-covered field exposed to the north wind cries of distress and rage greeted them and they found that the drunken russian soldiers were robbing their turkish prisoners not only of watches money etc but also of their biscuits their only food herbert stopped for a minute and gave away all he had left but some russians jumped upon him and rifled his pockets before he could recall his companions to his aid everybody in camp seemed to be drunk herbert went to sleep in a mud hut and slept for twelve hours without awaking being very kindly treated by a russian major but the turks suffered terribly they spent the night of the tenth on the same cold spot their arms had been taken from them also their money biscuits and even their greatcoats it froze and snowed and they were allowed no fires it was a fortnight before all the prisoners had left the neighborhood during this time from three thousand to four thousand men had succumbed to their privations the defense of plevna had lasted a hundred and forty-three days as the grand duke nicholas told osman it was one of the finest things done in military history but it cost the russians fifty-five thousand men the roumanians ten thousand and the turks thirty thousand there is a turkish proverb though your enemy be as small as an ant yet act as if he were as big as an elephant had the russians been guided by this they might have saved many losses one bitterly cold morning with two feet of snow on the ground i joined a detachment of prisoners escorted by romanians we travelled via sistoon to bucharest crossing the danube by the russian pontoon bridge this journey which lasted eight days was the most dreadful part of my experience lying as it did through snow-clad country with storms and bitter winds i and fifty others had seats on carts the bulk of the prisoners had to tramp i saw at least four hundred men drop to be taken as little notice of as if they were so much awful to die of starvation or be devoured by the wolves which prowled around our column over each man who fell a hideous crowd of crows ravens vultures hovered until he was exhausted enough to be attacked with impunity some of the soldiers of the escort were extremely brutal others displayed a touching kindness most were as stolid and apathetic as their captives of osman's army of forty eight thousand men only fifteen thousand reached russian soil only twelve thousand returned to their homes 
in bucharest our sufferings were at an end in the streets ladies distributed coffee broth bread tobacco cigarettes spirit our quarters in the barracks appeared to us like paradise then by train to kharkov where herbert got a check from his father and was allowed much freedom on parole he made many friends and was lionized and feasted and fattened like a show-beast i was treated he says with all the chivalrous kindness and open-handed hospitality which are the characteristics of the educated russians the effects of the brutal propensities developed in warfare wore off speedily and i am now a mild and inoffensive being whose conscience does not allow the killing of a flea or the plucking of a flower from the defense of plevna by w v herbert eighteen ninety five by kind permission of measures longmans green and company End of chapter twenty